0: One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris.
1: And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're so excited to have everybody along. What a fantastic week that we had. Um, here at at R Square Consulting, I got a, a chance to um, have a little little lifetime uh, as I, I checked out my son for for his birthday. Uh, August fifteenth is a big day for me uh, because I lost my father. So for those of you that that, that have listened to my story, know me. Um, I lost my dad uh, when I was young, and it was on August fifteenth. So it was a very sad day for me for many years, and then was blessed to have my son born on the very same day that he passed. So we had one in, one out, and. Um, and so for his birthday we checked him out early of school don't tell the teachers because we said he was sick uh and we had a fun time and we got to take him out to the movies and just have what we call a little man day so so he and i got some good time together uh and have been blessed to, to be home for the week and, and travels are about to pick up so we'll be in denver colorado uh next week the week after that we're gonna be in philadelphia pennsylvania buffalo new york and then at dragon con in atlanta and uh, got far more things coming up. I think we've got a speaking engagement coming up in Richmond, Virginia as well. So you can always find out about all of that at, at Rick A. Morris or Rick at RickAMorris.com. i uh, be happy to tell you guys where we're going to be. So let's get to today's show. We're so excited to, to have a person who's actually referred to us uh, by Melissa Agnes, if you guys remember, um, about, about you know, branding and, and corporate branding and, and what to do in a crisis uh so she'd reached out introduced me to this young man and i can't wait to to get talking to him Uh, he's a culture and storytelling expert who helps executives teams and thought leaders communicate connect and engage he's the author of of one of my my favorite subjects to discuss which is company culture for dummies and has been named a top 30 culture speaker by global guru organization love his high energy high engaging workshops and keynotes that fire them up to rewrite the stories happening in their very own culture. They leave with real life strategies that they can begin implementing immediately for improved culture that drives employee and customer experience. He's also the head performance coach at heroic heroic hey hey I can speak heroic public speaking and uh, tedx cambridge where he helps people connect in an authentic and engaging way with their audiences mike's worked with protein bar chow now Lettuce entertain you potbelly sandwich shop snag job and a ton of others and today he's our guest so let's welcome mike ganino how you doing mike i'm good thank you thank you for that lovely intro i appreciate that yep we we charge for that though so <laughs> if you want to replay it do anything like that use it for an intro we'll we'll charge for that so mike tell just tell the audience a little bit more about you that that really not in the bio.
2: Yeah, what's not in the bio. So, you know, I really I grew up in the hospitality industry since I was 15. I was I was doing dishes. That was my first job. I really wanted to go see a concert. Was that your first job? Yeah, Yeah. yeah we go. dishwasher from the dish. i want to write a book someday from the dish pit to the boardroom or something like that. <laughs> like that journey what that's like. So I uh, yeah, I got a job when I was 15 working at Pizza Hut doing dishes because I really wanted to go see a Reba McIntyre concert. And my grandpa told me, well, you've got to, pay for, you got to pay for it yourself. So I was like, oh, I got to get a job. So I started as a dishwasher and just stuck with it and really loved it, loved the, uh, loved the work. And there's like a performance aspect to it, right, of, of eventually waiting tables, maybe not doing dishes, but waiting tables and, and doing all that. There became this performance aspect. And I continued all the way through college. In college, I did uh, broadcast journalism. So I was going to school to, to be on camera much like this, um, but I left school. I left school to uh, pursue acting. And, uh, like most actors, like so many actors, I ended up back in restaurants. <laughs> and so, um, then, uh, from there, you know, I became a manager, became a trainer, became the head of training. Where that a bunch of different what, what restaurant? That was Potbelly. That was okay. Potbelly sandwich shop there. And I was there for seven years from seven locations to about 200. And at the end I was the head of the training department. And, uh, and I got really, I started, re- I was also doing improv at the same time. So I was doing classes at Second City in Chicago. I was performing. I was, I was at, you know, all taking everything in I could and really thinking like that was a hobby. Like the, the improv side was a hobby. And it wasn't until years later when I was a, uh, a partner and a chief operating officer of a, of a concept that I helped, you know, grow from from nothing to private equity funding eventually and selling it was there was all of this stuff about the improv world and about the theater world that actually was really useful at work. How we communicate, how we create stories about our brands, and not just from a consumer perspective, but inside of it. And so I got super excited about like, wait, is there a place for all this theater stuff and all this improv stuff inside of organizations? And so that's what I'm up to now is, is uh, you know, I wrote the book Company Culture for Dummies that came out in, in May. And, you know, when you dive into it, it's really a book about communication. It's really a book about You know, when you think about mission or vision or values or hiring or training, those are all opportunities to create stories with your employees, stories that then go on and help your customers. And for me, there's just this clear link between the theater stuff I did and the the culture stuff. And so now I'm getting to live that out. And it's super
1: fun. Oh, that's fantastic. We've got very similar upbringing. I mean, from dishwashing to studying broadcasting in college to then eventually the the lovely world of restaurant management so <laughs> i was I was the youngest manager ever hired by Bennigan's and and got to travel with Bennigan's and do all that kind of stuff but uh, i but I look for that now right I look for people that have restaurant experience and their resumes because The amount of people that you have to deal with, if you can hold that job for a while, telling you, man, you've got it down.
2: It's such an interesting industry because it is the only industry I can think of. And I say this a lot and no one has challenged me yet. It's the only industry where the entire life cycle of the business has to happen every single day from from receiving product to turning raw ingredients into finished products, to selling the products, to serving the products, to marketing the products, to, to... uh, managing the finances and looking at the money that came in and the money that went out. That happens every single day. Most companies look at that on a monthly basis, a weekly or something, but every day we do it. And it's one of the only industries where if you, if you're a server for sure. And if you're a manager and owner and you're, you're making money from how busy you are, where you pray that however many day parts, if you have breakfast, lunch, dinner, or just dinner or breakfast and dinner, whatever you've got, you pray that you're in the weeds, which means You're so busy that you can barely handle it. You pray for that every day because that's your livelihood. What other business do people go in and say, oh my God, I hope I get my butt handed to me today because I need to make rent. Nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. So people who could do that, I agree with you. Those are people who probably have some fortitude and can and do some really great stuff.
1: I still have a shirt that says in the weeds, which I love. Um, <laughs> and, and one of my favorites, uh, one of the things that I did when I was training is, is teaching servers. I said, look, it's... It, 15% is not the norm anymore because you're being rated against every other dining experience they've ever had. Yeah. So what are you going to do that's going to be different to bring the extra dollars because just great service isn't the norm anymore. That's expected. Yeah. So what are you going to do to, to, to take the next step? But that's not what we're here to talk about. But I just love <laughs> the fact uh, we'll that we share that similar background. We'll, and we'll do a whole episode on serving <laughs> <laughs> and telling stories because when, when I saw office space in, in the whole thing about the, the pieces of flair, and I- Bennigan's made us swear, I mean, Come on! All right, so <laughs> let's let's get into a- again. This is one of my absolute favorite topics to discuss because in in what I do for a living in project management, I see culture and vision separate often. Right? Mm. They have a vision, but their corporate culture doesn't support it. So, what what do you really see is at the core uh, of corporate culture? You know, really the core of corporate, that's hard to say, right? Right? The
2: core of corporate culture is really about communication and relationships. You know, people are people all over the place right now are are chasing employee engagement by trying to do, trying to do surveys. And what is the proper amount of ice cold brewed coffee and and, uh, nap rooms per person? Like, what's the ratio there? How often do we need to do this and that? And it's like, That's all great. And that's all wonderful. And those are all things you should do if you can to take care of your employees. But you can have a great culture in a manufacturing plant, you can have a great culture on a Navy ship where they don't have any of that stuff. And so for me, great culture comes down to relationships, and relationships are largely built on communication. And so that is, it, it makes it very easy for me when I go into work with a group, it's very easy to assess where they are. I don't need to do surveys. I don't need to do any of that stuff. I can dive in immediately and see, let me just watch people interact for a little bit. Let me watch them make decisions. Let me watch them interact. Let me see how often people hold back and don't, don't uh, contribute because they're worried about status. And that tells me everything I need to know about what we need to do to fix the culture. And it is almost always about relationships and communication, not about perks and benefits.
1: Oh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I love, I even analyze um, how they select their seats. So who has to be at the right of the boss, who, who has to be at the head of the table is, you know, do they sit off of the table, even though there's seats available at the table, things like that, yeah. right? I'm looking at that when I'm, when I'm trying to analyze what's happening. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to share a, a quick quote. We got about three minutes to break, but when we talk about culture and vision, and we also talk about this, I, I think ethics plays into it a lot, right? So where i see corporate culture and vision start to separate is when you're saying well i want a culture of inclusivity but i'm not going to fire the guy that's got harassment complaints cuz <laughs> right he's he's our number one sales guy so you know you're saying that you want to do it but you won't you won't follow up have you had experience with that in an organization <laughs> of course yeah i mean
2: that's the big one right and what what's easy so often is to there's always multiple stories going on. And this is where I think, you know, a lot of times people hear story and they think, oh, this is a marketing thing. It's about getting the story right for the website or for the branding or commercial. And for me, story is really about what what are the things people are saying. So when I go in and I say, hey, how does this company make decisions? Uh, what's rewarded here, and you listen to the employees tell stories, or you say, what's the last time that someone did something really risky and was rewarded for it? You hear the stories come to life. Those stories are what the culture actually is. It's not what's written on the wall. And so if there are no actual full live examples of inclusivity and all it is is a statement in a book, then I know it's not true. Because there's got to be – I was working with someone recently, and they were telling me a story about how much they value customer service. The story they told is one from three years ago, that they repeat in their orientation. It's like, do you have one from yesterday? Yeah. Because if it's that important, there better be one from yesterday.
1: Oh, I love that, I love that. And speaking of ethics, uh, I'll share a quote with you that, that I just got fed uh, last week from John Maxwell. He, uh, uh, make a long story short, they were asking him to write a, a book on business ethics and he said, no. They said, <laughs> why not? It'd be a number one seller. He goes, because there's no such thing as business ethics. There's just ethics. You either have them or you don't. But you can't <laughs> perform one way at home and one way at work, right? You can't beat your kids at the house and then turn around and be a phenomenal boss, right? It just, yeah. it doesn't work that way. There's just ethics. What do you think of that?
2: Well, I think it's so true. One of the things often when I work with an organization, we say, okay, let's create the stories around your values. Uh, Cause that's what I think matters is I, I, you know, and the, the CEO or the exec team will be like, great, go, go out into the people and find the values. And it's like, no, no, no. The values of the organization are going to be pretty close to what you at the top value. So. If you don't value communication, then it doesn't have a chance of surviving here. And so while I believe culture is about community and is about relationships across the board, there is definitely something where the people who hold the power, the people with the little three-letter acronyms after their names, whatever, whatever follows the C in your title, there is immense power that comes with that. And if the values of the organization don't kind of closely match your personal ones, they don't have a chance of surviving the first time that they are put up to test.
1: I couldn't agree more. So we're going to take our first break right here. Uh, We're going to be right back with Mike and Nino on the work-life balance. You're listening to Rick Morris.
0: Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery?
3: In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies.
0: at one 472 5790 Again, that's one 472 5790 If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the work-life balance.
1: All right, and we are back with Mike Nino. Now, Mike, you just brought out a book in May called Company Culture for Dummies, and uh, hopefully that's doing really well for you. Yeah, yeah. It's been uh it's been fun and you know the the really cool part i I mean, signing it is
2: still really cool and weird. I, I went to the to the gym today. I just joined a new uh gym and the the guy that owns it, who's my trainer there, he bought five copies for all of his trainers and they're gonna read it together like every week. And so it's still so freaking cool when someone is like, Will you sign this for me? And it's like, right. Oh my gosh, that's you dream of the day where you're where you're Uh, signature becomes an autograph. And it's like, that's, I I hope that never goes away. It's so freaking cool. And then the other thing that's really neat is when someone reads a chapter and they say, oh my gosh, this little, someone sent me the other day a text and they sent me like a quote. And I was like, oh my God, yes, that's so true. Where's that from? And they're like, your book, you wrote it. And I was like, I wrote 377 pages. I don't remember that specific sentence. But it's so cool that you make something and it goes out into the world and that somebody reads it and pays attention to it. And finds value. I mean, that's just the coolest, most rewarding thing.
1: We always say book authoring on on the show is a labor of love, right? There's not a tremendous amount of money in the book itself. But to your point, I've been writing now uh, probably 10 years. And my first book came out in 2007. So almost 11 years now. I've got six books. First of all, signing it never gets old. At least so far. In 11 years, it hadn't gotten old. Um, But I think the greatest thing is when somebody comes up and says, you know, I implemented this or whatever you said here that just changed my entire career. Um, and you're like, you, you, you do have that moment where you sit back and go, do you know me? Like, yeah, it's not me, right? But uh, it, it's fantastic to see. So congratulations on the book coming out. And you guys can go pick up a copy of that, certainly on Amazon or, you know, just email Mike, and I'll autograph a copy for you and send it to you. We've got to get the autograph. Yeah. So let's talk about um, focusing, though. So you, you brought up stories so much in that first segment. What is the importance of stories, you know, in corporate culture? Yeah, you know, I I think it's, it's,
2: there's a, there's a couple of versions, right? Because there's the, there's the story listening, which is, you got to go listen to the stories your employees are telling, because that's the clue into the culture. Like, imagine you started a new company, and you went through the like, glossy, formal orientation, whether it's an hour, whether it's three days, whether it's a week, you went through that orientation, and then you met someone who's worked at the company for five years in the break room or, or in the kitchen. And they say, oh, well, let me, and they say, how's it going? And you say, oh, it's so great. I was so excited to learn about this. And they say, oh, let me tell you how it really is. What are you going to believe? You're going to believe the story of the employee. So we as leaders, we need to be listening more to those stories and and uncovering them and finding comfortable ways to pull them out. So story listening is the first part. Storytelling is actually the least important part. So we got to listen to those stories to understand what's really happening. And that's what surveys don't do. That's what employee engagement surveys don't do. That's what performance reviews don't do. We think we're getting all these stories because we scored a a seven and a half out of nine on benefits and we think that means something, but that's not a story that's a data point. And we need to go find the stories about what that means so we can do something about them. So once you listen to the stories, then we need to start working on story making and story doing, which is, Our job as leaders is not to control the narrative. That's what we do with story, right? I just was talking to someone in the PR world. I do a lot of work with PR teams. They'll have me come in and work with their clients on communication. So if they're going to get on camera and talk about something, how can they deliver the message the PR team has helped them with? So I do that a lot. And one of the things that that I talk about in that world is that we can't control the narrative anymore. The I I read this summer, I don't know who, it's not me, this is some genius person said this, is the masses are the media, and in the same way, the employees are the culture, and they are the message, and the idea of us controlling the narrative is long gone, like, that is over, whatever the truths are to those employees, they're telling out there in the world, and that matters, so we need to think about, once we do the story listening, we need to think about the story making and the story doing, meaning, how do we give them it's like Bonnie Rayett, right? We need to give them something to talk about. Like <laughs> if we want our employees to be telling a different story, if what we heard and the story listening is not what we want to be hearing, it's not about controlling the narrative, it's about fueling new stories. Oh, and that happens saying. from saying story doing and story making. And then finally, storytelling becomes important because there are moments where, and this is where a lot of culture stuff happens. Uh, and, and incorrectly, like bad culture stuff starts to happen is just, we're just not on the same page. We don't, have a, we don't have a clear story about who we are as a group. We don't have a clear story about why we're doing what we're doing. We don't have a clear story about even what we do. I was doing a demo today. Uh, I was on the receiving end of a demo for a client that I'm working on. So I was doing like secret shopper for them. And I was talking about, I was, I'm listening into the communication skills of their sales team and you know the the stories they tell the person couldn't clearly tell me what the company does. Wow. And But that happens all over the place of like, sure. what is this company about? So who are we? What are we about? What do we do? All of those things. And then as a leader, when you're dealing with change, when you're thinking about things, you need to think of the right information to share. If you're going through innovation, if you're going through, you know, you need selling stories, you need uh, leadership stories, you need, you know, building our shared identity stories because when you step out in front of them, those are all opportunities. Another example of stories inside of a brand is I was working with someone for a, uh, like an all-hands meeting type of thing. And so I said, you know, it would be really great if we you know, were talking as an organization about customers, 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 customers all the time. Let's open. Instead of opening and saying, hey, everybody, it was a great Q2. Uh, thank you for all your hard work. Let's get into the numbers and talk about what's going on. How cool would it be? If you got your employees, this is a group that's working on employee engagement. They've got a lot of young people. These people want to hear about what am I doing and how is it helping someone? And so what I had the CEO do was instead of, I said, do you have a customer story? And they pulled out a customer story that was from orientation that's three years old. And I said, no, no, no. Do you have a customer story from this quarter? Do you have a customer story from yesterday? And, and so we use, we came up with a story of like, oh, there was a customer who came to us who had this, we did this, this is what happened. This is what they were struggling with. And this is where they are today because of your work. Now that is motivating to people. Without and, a doubt,
1: without a doubt. We'll keep going. I'm sorry.
2: No, no, no. We just, we just don't think of communicating in that way. And we don't think it matters. But, but the feedback that happened was, wow, that opening story really reminded me of why we're all here. That open oh. the, the things we want our employees to say, right? Like so, we want our employees, we want the story they say to be i'm so engaged and I love our customers, and I love coming to work. Then
1: we need to give them the ingredients for that and and don't stage it don't don't make it fake up there right have you, you've seen that well we're going to bring on Bonnie because she just sold the most when it's rehearsed, people know that it's got to yeah. be authentic. I think authenticity in the story is just as important
2: yeah, they've got to be real so there's
1: there's the the like when I do a
2: workshop right when I come into an organization we'll do a full day and we have a full day where we're doing story listening and then we're doing story doing story making and then storytelling. And sometimes they'll bring me in for a second day to say, now we really want help on the storytelling, how we communicate the stories. And so we'll, we'll create them all in one day. And then if they want help on the second day, we work through, how do you get in front of everybody and communicate it? How do you do it on a podcast or how do you get on a, on a camera and be able to tell stories in an authentic way um, so that people can connect and people can really hear because we are so tuned in To like advertising messages like we get when we're being sold to and we turn it off so how do you communicate in a way that turns people on
1: well what's interesting too and you brought up um feeling in on things which which reminded me there was a survey that came out david maester i think is the person that did it and and he, he put a lot of executives in a room and then put all their employees in another room and asked them to rank things in terms of happiness there. <laughs> and, of course, the bosses were like, you know, salary, benefits, time off, opportunity for advancement. And their number one thing was was feeling in on things, being part of the decision. The employees. The team. Yep. The employees answered that as number one was feeling in on things. So that absolutely supports what you're saying.
2: Yeah. Well, one of the things too often in in that same way of like when someone's doing an all hands or an employee meeting and they want to get feedback and they say, hey, what do you want to know more about employees? And employees say, oh, we want to, we want to know about this project or that one. One of the things I hear from executives all the time is, I, how do they not know? How do they not know what's going on? How do they not know why we're building that product? How do we not know why we're rolling out in that market? And the challenge is because you're thinking about it every day because you're in on the narrative and they are not. And so, again, it goes to, so if you have employees who are disengaged, who aren't super fired up about your new product, your new market, it's likely because of the story they've told themselves about that, which is usually a lack of a story from leadership or a lack of a story being repeated enough that they can do it. And so the the key to engagement is not, tickling your well certainly not tickling your employees but it's not it's not i meant that in like a making it fun at work no
1: no no no, i get it but it just came out very yeah yeah yeah.
2: (laughs) um but it's not about it's not about happy hours and fun times and any of that it is about communication it's about giving them the stories and the fuel that makes them leave and say wow i'm doing something really interesting so they have stories when they go home and they can say wow let me tell you what we're doing. You know, when they get home from work and they can say, ooh, we're doing this really cool thing and I'm so excited about it versus eh, I went and I made some more product and wrote some more code today.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, and, and a lot of people are pushing back on the millennial generation right now saying that they're jumping to jump, but no, they've got to know that they matter, right? People yeah. are people. I don't care what what generation you come from, but if they can't see what they're doing is is benefiting the, the greater good, then they're out. Yeah. And, well, I, mean- and I think, go ahead.
2: That, like I think, like my grandma wanted the same things as as millennials want. She just didn't have options. So, like, right. if she went to work and she wasn't super engaged, she couldn't go on her cell phone and say, "Ooh, I'm gonna I'm gonna apply for a thousand jobs today on Indeed. I'm gonna go find it. I'm gonna go read on Glassdoor and see what is it like to work down the street at the next factory. She worked at a factory. My grandma, she didn't have those options. And if she wanted to go for apply for jobs, she had to wait till the Sunday paper came out and then get the classified ads, circle them, and then go door to door with individual applications, she couldn't just push a button and apply to 100 jobs. The, it, she also couldn't start a store on Instagram and sell t-shirts if she wanted. <laughs> right. So the, the challenge is we have options today. And what we need to do is make working with you a better option than working by myself.
1: I don't think I've heard anybody explain it. anybody, And I've heard you know millennial experts I don't think I've heard anybody explain it better than you just did, right? Because people are thinking it's a genera- generational gap, but the options and the ability for us to go do things is is greater than it ever has. Right? Yeah. There, there's people who make money just doing affiliate marketing on the internet. Who would have ever thought of that, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible. So I, again, I commend you for that. That's, that's a huge takeaway for me. I don't think I've heard anybody explain it as, as eloquently as you just did.
2: Thank you. You know what it is? It's the uh when they when they first came to me for the book for company culture for dummies, uh, part of it was like, "Oh, we love your simple way of explaining things." And I thought, I, "Is that a
1: compliment or you talking simple <laughs> of a, got me a
2: book deal, so I don't care."
1: <laughs> Look, you're not that articulate. We want you to do our <laughs> book. All right. Uh, I mean, so we're going to
2: family was uh that I was, you know, from like poor immigrant Italians and pig farmers in Iowa and they thought, "This guy's our guy." <laughs>
1: Look, we're going to take a break right here. We're going to be right back with Mike Canino. Please join us and stay with us after the commercials and listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris.
0: Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery?
3: And make everything you've got put you out in front.
0: Are you getting the most out of your project management software? Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance.
1: And we are back to the Work-Life Balance here with Rick Morris and talking to Mike Ganino. He's the author of Corporate Culture for Dummies, which just released in May. Please go out on Amazon and support this book. It's a fantastic book. So coming back, you know, I... I want. I want to dive into the storytelling aspect a little bit more, um, and really, I, I want to know how companies and, and leaders should be using stories, but also help us with the fact that we're calling it stories and storytelling. There may be a perception of that, and so let's let's deal with that a little bit as well.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we could deal with the perception thing first because I think it's easy. It's um, yeah. There's certainly there's certain, it's the same thing that happens when I work with people for being on camera or being on stage or being you know stepping into a board meeting and I talk about performance and it's like oh performance is inauthentic like as an actor that's and that's something we do a lot with heroic public speaking where I'm the head performance coach it's performing is not inauthentic the same way that like you do you have children Rick I do too okay so the way that you communicate to your kids you make choices based on what you want them to understand you, if you want to let them know, hey, I'm disappointed in what you've done, you communicate in a certain way. You change your body posture, you change your tone of voice, you change the words you use. If one of them does something and you want them to know, hey, it's okay, they're crying and they think something bad happened, and you want to send the message, if you want to send the message of, yes, that is wrong, you shouldn't have done that, I'm disappointed, you make one choice. If you want to send the message of, like, hey, no, it's cool, like, don't worry about it, stop crying, it's not a big deal, it's, it's fixable, you communicate in a different way. Those are both choices you make in the way that you're showing up and performing. That's all performances. The same thing exists with stories that people automatically go to Hollywood. When we think of stories, we automatically go to Hollywood and everybody who sells marketing and branding stuff, not everybody, a lot of people who sell marketing and branding stuff right now talk about story and creating your story and selling your story. And the challenge with that in my book is that so much of that is inauthentic. So much of that is not actually the story listening, like it's not really what happened to customers because they drank your soda or your beer. And now all of a sudden they're dating the hottest people and hanging out with polar bears in the ice. Like that's (laughs) not, that's not the truth of this product. And so we hear story and we think that we think commercial, but the reality is that's advertising using story. Now, it's just one, one thing using story framework. We can use stories to create change. We can use stories to drive people. I mean, largely think about, you know, even going back to the example that's like so famous for people like me to use. But when we think about Dr. Martin Luther King's, I have a dream speech, it was one, it was specific. I have a dream. It wasn't, I have some vague ideas, but it also said, if you, if you go beyond, I have a dream of, little black boys and little white boys doing this and holding hands and being on the street together that is a a story that wasn't real but it was an effective way to create change and stories can do the same thing inside of organizations so inauthentic stories sure those those can be damaging there's power in that but whether or not you want to use them they're powerful and they exist and whether or not you want to contribute to them your employees are telling them anyway so when they leave a room, what do they all go and do? They all go and tell a story about the meeting they were just in. When you do your big annual conference and you're trying to get all the employees together around something and, and the story, the the message isn't compelling and there isn't a narrative about what's next, they leave and go to the bar at happy hour and say, well, nobody figured out what the hell we're doing next year. Story is a powerful way to give people a repeatable packaged message that they can go run with. And so I think that that is why story is good and bad both of those reasons and then i think inside of an organization there's just so many places you can use them and again it's not the panacea like if you have a bunk strategy and you have a horrible product story ain't gonna help you you're not gonna sit down and be like let's craft stories like people are gonna find out like if which is why in my model i teach story listening story doing story making and then storytelling last because storytelling cannot become cannot come before the other ones um as a leader, if you step out and you say, let me tell you a story about how we treat employees, but everybody in that room is like, that ain't true, then, then the storytelling is inauthentic. It's got to be preceded by story listening, story doing, story making, and then we can storytell. And, and I think that's the part that most people are skipping. They're jumping right to, how do I manipulate people with story?
1: There it is. And again, it comes back to authenticity. I, I just, uh, I had a reaction when you said ML King. Uh, you know, I have a dream only because last week, um, unannounced kind of to us, uh, there's a guy, and I believe his name's Stephen Ferguson, uh, but he he does the entire speech in complete 100% impression of MLK. Wow. And he did it in front of 3,000 people. So you got the speakers booming. You know, we've got two ballrooms packed, you know, house. I've never, that's the closest I'll ever see that to, to being there live. And you want to talk about chill bumps. The yeah. moment it started happening, it was. Outstanding, outstanding. So anyway, you just you trigger. When I had that reaction, I wasn't saying no, no, not not the, the I Have a Dream speech. It was just a, a resonance to me that it was one of the most powerful things I think I've ever heard done in a live environment like that. And he even has like the little thing in his voice. It, it was yeah. it was incredible. Anyway, um, let's let's get into to authenticity um, because. What about, I, I'm going to flip it on you here. Um, and so I, I may not have prepared you for this question. What about the person that has too many stories? <laughs> the person who doesn't shut up. Yeah. yeah. Well, not only like that, but everything comes back to a quip or a story.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's the balance of, of this. And this is what I think is the issue. When I, when I talk about story, I am not just talking about your storytelling. I am talking about the story other people leave with, which is actually the most important one. Your, wow. Whatever story you're telling is not that important. It's the to- story they can retell. And so, if you are if you are sharing, um, if you are sharing too much, if you are sharing too many stories, if the story you're telling is not relevant for that audience, if the story you're telling this is a big thing I've seen happen lately. I coach a lot of people for TEDx events, uh, speaker coaching for a lot of TEDx events, and, and I'm the head coach at uh, TEDx Cambridge. And one of the things I see a lot is because there was the origin of, of people kind of seeing a lot of these TEDx talk- talks and saying, ooh, we should all start with story. We should be vulnerable. Um, I think they listened to like Brene Brown's talk but then missed the message in her talk and they just heard, ooh, we're supposed to be vulnerable. They didn't listen to the rest of it. And, and that's not what she's saying. Vulnerability is about authenticity too and appropriateness. And what I see so often is that speakers or, or even communicators in, in just a boardroom or a meeting or, or something will, will begin to talk. And it's clear that they're telling a story to show you that they're vulnerable, but it's not connected at all to the content. So it's like, let me tell you, when I was five years old, I felt alone and this and that and the other. And that is why our product is here today to help people find (laughs) new hotels. And and it's like, wait, what What is this about? And so the story starts to become self-indulgent. The story starts to become the person getting lost in their own ideas versus becoming relevant to the audience and relevant to the action you want them to take. And so it goes back to what we were saying earlier about good intention and bad intention. We were saying, you know, the difference between the two is you're a little nicer, but you didn't have any impact. Storytelling is really more about what are you giving the people to walk away with? And if your stories are just about you having fun and you telling something interesting and showing that you're vulnerable, then you haven't done your job as a communicator because communication is not about what you say. It is about what the other person leaves and is able to repeat and think about.
1: Yeah. John's actually got a book called everyone communicates, but few connect and Love that. Uh, yeah, great one. But he, you know, we, we do speaker training uh, on the John Maxwell team and, and we, we push the, the use of personal stories, but when you watch somebody as good as, as John Maxwell is, um, you'll be in the story and it it seems completely irrelevant. And then he'll just punch you in the mouth with a teaching point that you'll never forget because of the connection to the story. Yeah. And I love watching great communicators start a story. You think it's in a segue and then all of a sudden, you know, you don't even see it coming. It's like the big hook in the, in the horror movie, but all of a sudden they, they swing back around and they just start teaching. And that is one of the coolest things to watch.
2: Yeah. And it's completely teachable and it's completely doable um, if people take the effort.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. So how do, uh, so what are your recommendations of how people get started in doing their stories and, and, and really learning how to communicate better? Yeah, I think the
2: number one thing is really thinking about, you know, when I go back to the workshops I lead with with companies on this, we always start with story listening, because that's the that's the most powerful thing. So if you're if you're a, a leader of a team out there and you want to you get better with story, the first thing you need to do is what is the story everyone currently has? Because I can't figure out what to tell them or say if I don't consider where are they are currently. Um, what's, what's the current situation? Because now I can figure out what I need to do to either change their story, I need to fuel new stories for them by story doing and story making, or I need to give them information. They don't actually understand how our product is helping customers. That's a problem of, that's a leadership problem. That's not an employee engagement issue. That's a leadership problem of I am not banging the drum enough about the stories of our customers. And standing up there with your solutions and your bullet points and your pitch deck about, you know, here's what we help with is not as powerful as saying, let me tell you about uh, why we started this. You know, we we met this lady, Jan, and on and on. and, And then it's like, wow, that is really cool. Versus we started in 1997 because we saw a hole in the marketplace that we thought we could fill. And since it. There's a, there's a much different reaction. And so we want to we think about employees are not engaged. The problem is we are not being engaging. That's the issue. If we go and see a movie, if you and I go to see a movie, Rick, or we go to see a concert and we leave and say, oh, that wasn't very good. The person wasn't great. The story wasn't great. They don't blame us for that. You know, they're yeah. not going to say like, well, they're, it's their fault they weren't engaged. It's like, no, we didn't like the movie because it wasn't well done. We weren't bought into the characters. The storytelling wasn't good. The filming wasn't good. They're not going to blame us for that. And yet over and over and over in organizations, we blame the employees because they're not engaged versus saying, how do we make this environment, this communication more engaging? The number one thing to do is to tap into the current stories. So start finding ways to listen to stories, start finding ways to listen to what's really going on, uh, because from there you can say, okay, are there some things we can do differently to make new stories for our people? And then are there places where we need to tell better stories so that they have more to cling on to and connect to
1: and so give me an example of when you say there are other places we got about two minutes to our last break here when you say um create the opportunity to create the story give it give a good example there
2: yeah so 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 in 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 story listening right so if we're thinking of like how do i how do i find the stories there's, you know, you're not going to sit down with an employee and say, hey, can you please tell me what is your story about leadership here?
1: Uh, <laughs> right. That's that's, no,
2: right. What is a weird question and it's not how they think versus <laughs> – Asking the questions of like, hey, how do you think decisions are made here? What makes you nervous about speaking up? What makes you uncomfortable about doing this? When is the last time you thought we really nailed it with promoting someone? And why did you think that person was such a great choice? Why did you celebrate that? Those then become stories of like, well, when John got promoted, we were so excited because da 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 da. And then you keep asking, oh, so so, do you think that was something we weren't doing a lot of before? Now we're getting stories. Well, yeah, I thought we didn't do a good job of promoting people like this. Okay, cool, now we've got a story. Employees are telling themselves that we don't promote the right people because we do X, Y, and Z. That is a story they're telling that I didn't know before. And so they're walking around fully loaded with this information and I never tapped into it. So if that is true that we are promoting the, right, the wrong people, now I can say, okay, is there something we can do differently? And maybe I say, well, actually we've changed our recruiting process since then. We now do X, Y, and Z, great. Employees don't know that. So now I need to tell a better story about our recruiting process at our next all hand or in a video or something. So they understand, Hey, we knew this was going on and we learned from it. And so since then we've been doing this thing. And so that's how that all links. I listened to a story. I thought about what we're doing or how we could make a different story. And then I told and packaged that story so that people understood it and could grab onto what we're doing now.
1: And I, and it comes back to, again, the, the, the number one secret sauce in any business is your people. So if you take care of your people, you make sure that you understand them, then, then you're going to be, you know, you you have a much higher chance of being successful for sure. So we're going to take our final break here. Uh, We'll be right back with Mike Ganino. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris.
3: In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget
0: you are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at one 472 5790 Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance.
1: And we are back for our Final segment of the work life balance. Man, did it go by fast today, Mike? You've been fantastic to talk to. <laughs> um, and speaking of that, how do people get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, I'm easy to find. Once you figure out how to spell Ganino, I'm very easy to find. And Ganino is just G A N I N O. So I'm very easy to find. You Google Mike Ganino. I am likely the one who's going to show up. Uh, you can go to mikeganino.com. You can follow me at mikeganino. Connect to me on on Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever you like to chat. I would love to chat with you there. And then, uh, of course. You can connect on Amazon and grab a copy of my book Company Culture for Dummies and I'd love to hear what you think of that as well.
1: Outstanding. And so give me some of the best advice you would say you've ever received. Yeah, I mean I've been really lucky that I've gotten to
2: work with so many different kinds of folks and and uh and but I think the one piece of advice that has like most influenced how I approach life is it was never given to me directly. It's from Del Close. Del Close was one of the very, very early founders of improvisation, like the entire art form of improvisation he was one of the very early people who like created what we know as theatrical improv today. And he, uh, you know, was involved with second city and other things, but eventually started a school in Chicago called improv Olympics. Now I am several generations of improviser away from Del close, um, uh, because he wasn't teaching or, or even he wasn't actually alive when I was learning improv, but there's something that he said, that is bring a brick to the scene instead of a whole cathedral build together. So in improv, it's about let me bring something, you bring something. I'll bring something, you bring something. And let's take shared responsibility for creating something together. And to me, that is also something about life, about culture, about work, about relationships, is what if, we, what if we were 100% responsible, each of us? So I'm not 50% and you're not 50%. I'm 100% responsible for what I bring to the table. And you are 100% responsible for what you bring. And together, we will build a cathedral and our job, each of us, is to bring that brick. And so I love the idea of bring a brick to the scene instead of the whole cathedral so you can build together. It's uh, impacted my life so, so drastically. And I notice the times where I'm not loving my life or when times aren't going well or times that
1: relationships are not good, it is because I did not follow that advice. Wow, well said, well said. And so you wanna uh, leave the audience with any final remarks? You know, here's, here's the deal. My final remark would be this. and
2: it's, it's, it's uh, easy, but, but harder than it seems. And, and it is, you can drastically change your business, your life, your uh, relationships at work. You can change so many things when you dial into the stories that other people are telling. Um, and so the more that you can pay attention to what is the reality from someone else's perspective, it doesn't need to be right. It doesn't need to be perfect, but it is however, whatever they're walking around with. And you can't change a business until you do that. Once you figure that out, businesses, relationships, and lives are changed one conversation at a time.
1: Wow. Mike, you've been an absolute blast to have on the show and we actually can't wait to have you back. So we we need to, you've got an open invitation anytime you want to fill it. You know how to book the show now. So we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that you do that. So we certainly appreciate you being here. You've been fantastic to talk to and, and appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. It was a, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. So coming up, uh, again, we'll be in Denver, uh, Colorado next week. Next week's show, we're going to have Marissa Nelson on the, the show. She's a dear friend of mine from John Maxwell team, uh, but has has lived her life uh, for others. So very successful in financial planning. Uh, started a, a sewing school in Costa Rica to, to help the people there uh, be able to become more financially accessible. And so uh, she's a phenomenal person, tons of energy. We're going to have a great time with her. On the show the following week uh, again I'll be in Philadelphia Buffalo and then we're going to do a replay uh, because I'm going to go to Dragon Con and hang out uh, with several of our friends there. So uh, if you guys don't know Dragon Con it happens in Atlanta Georgia uh, and there's 50,000 people who dress up silly and uh, in, and really embrace the culture of of uh, entertainment media and, and all that stuff. So that's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and then the following week from that it's going to be the Labor Day week we'll actually be back home. Uh, and excited to share experiences from Dragon Con with you on that show. So stay tuned with us here uh, at uh, Voice America Business Network. And please listen to us again. Tell all your friends, tell them about Mike and, and what they can learn from the show. It's going to be podcasted. We'll also have a video up on YouTube soon. So uh, please continue to interact with the show. We love the fact that you listen to us. And we can't wait to talk to you again next Friday. You've been listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance.